0: I'm going to ask you if you would open your Bibles this morning to James chapter 3 as we continue in our study of the epistle of James. And I pray that it has been as much of a blessing to you as it has been to me. I've entitled this message this morning, The Power of the Tongue. It's really the first part of two parts that we're going to be looking at in James chapter 3. And um, as we continue to go down in James chapter uh, 3, you know, James continues with the main theme. And I know I've mentioned this time and time again. This epistle is about living and active and biblical faith in Jesus Christ and what that looks like. We've already seen what faith looks like in times of trials, we have seen how one responds to temptations. We've seen living faith as it relates to faith and works. Now James will address the relationship of our speech and its relationship with faith. And the question he poses, or the question that we could pose for ourselves, is there a relationship in our speech to our faith in Jesus Christ? That's the question. And James will answer that in question emphatically saying, yes, there is. So today is really going to be, the first part of today is really going to be the overview, and then next week we'll jump into a little bit more detail. I think back to my own conversion, the day when I was saved in Jesus Christ, but one of the defining pieces of evidence that I was not saved was my speech, It was my speech. Before coming to faith in Jesus Christ, one of the identifying characteristics of my unbelief was exactly the way I spoke. I could say back then, like the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 6, Woe is me, for I'm a man of profane lips, and I live among a people of profane lips. Simply put, I had a filthy mouth, a mouth full of cursing, or as you say in the South, swearing, and bitterness. My mouth poured out angry words and profanities. When somebody upset me, somebody made me mad, when I was in a crucible, I was in a period of trials, I spoke and I joked of perverse things. I did. I joked very coarsely. And it was pretty amazing because when I went to church, I could shut that off like a faucet and sound all holy and all religious and blah, 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 praise the Lord, yada, yada, yada. But I was not a believer. I somehow, I think in my ignorance, I thought God overlooked my filthy mouth. You know, Jesus stated in Matthew, in Luke 6:45, He said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. My tongue was dirty because my heart was dirty. My speech was ugly, because my heart was ugly. And out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth spoke. And it wasn't edifying, and it wasn't glorious, and it wasn't anything worthy of praise. Listen to what the word of God says regarding the tongue and speech. Proverbs 10, 31. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. Proverbs 10, 20. The tongue of the righteous is his choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge uh, acceptable but the mouth of the fool spouts folly proverbs 18 21 death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit and i want to make a comment on that verse that verse does not mean and i want to be crystal clear that we can speak things into existence and retract things that's not what that verse means when it says life and death are in the power of the tongue that means people could say things that kill or condemn or hurt but it's not that we can speak things into existence it's very very critical as we've been studying in sunday school only god has the ability to create something out of nothing only god he's the only thing that could speak things into being Matthew 15, 18, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile a man. The tongue speaks what is already in the heart. Therefore, we must guard our hearts with what we see, hear, listen, and meditate on. The Apostle Paul directs the church at Philippi, in Philippians 4.8, he says these words, and and I would encourage you underline this verse, because this verse has broad applicability to your Christian living. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, Let your mind dwell on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In short, if you put garbage in, you're gonna get garbage out. That's just a simple principle. Put godly things in, Godly things will proceed from your lips. The evidence of saving faith is revealed not only in our conduct, but in our speech as well. But there is a problem. And the problem, James says, is the tongue. Now I'm going to tell you, I told you what my life was like before I was saved. One of the evidences of my salvation was how God cleaned up my mouth. And why is that? Because he cleaned up my heart. He cleaned up my heart. In chapter 3 of this epistle, James will now give us insight into the issue of the tongue, of speech. That's what we want to know. And how it is another proof. It is another proof of living and active faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus. This like other tests that we've already seen will reveal the nature of the heart yet the believer through the indwelling person of the holy spirit can have victory over the tongue and use their tongues to praise god and bring glory to his name it's you know words have meaning and words can either edify or they could be used to destroy and I think it becomes incumbent upon us that if we are filled with the presence of God, if we're filled with the power of God, that our words are used for edification and for the glory of God. We, we, this morning in Sunday school, we were talking about how we were created in the image of God. And one of those things that we were created for in the image is that God has given us the ability to communicate, not merely with one another, but to communicate with God. And should, not our, and, and should our language not be used for the glory and the edification of God? I can remember several years ago, some of you might remember this too, but I can remember several years ago, um, probably about five, six years ago, maybe more in this church, we had a real problem with gossip. Real problem. And there were those that were going around spreading little venom all over the place and i praise god for his mercy because it finally got nipped in the bud but it started and words were used to destroy not to edify to tear down and i like to think that some perhaps some of the people who were responsible for that were unwitting agents of the enemy trying to sow dissension. Our words as believers should be used for edification, for the building up of the body. Like my dad used to say, you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. I think we need to learn a lesson there. As we look at chapter 3, if we were going to outline the first 11 verses of chapter 3, it would be pretty simple. Verses 1 through 4 is really James deals with the bridling of the tongue. The bridling of the tongue, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And then in verses 5 through 11, he talks about the boasting of the tongue, what the tongue does. Now, I think it's also important to understand that James uses the tongue as a personification. It's a personification of the person. It's a personification of... Of the heart. He's not talking about the physical organ that sits within our mouth. He uses it as a metaphor, as a larger metaphor to refer to the very essence of a person. James speaks of the tongue in the following manner in chapter 3. He says the tongue boasts of great things. It boasts of great things. He says he calls the tongue... It's a fire, so everything in its path gets lit up, and it gets lit up on fire. He says the tongue can defile the whole body. He says the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. These aren't very flattering terms here. He talks about uh, the tongue. He says with the tongue, we can bless God, And with the tongue, we can curse men who are made in God's image. We must never forget, as we read through this epistle, that this is about faith, about faith. Living, active, biblical faith. And James is illustrating that biblical, living faith demonstrates itself in our speech. Because salvation is all-encompassing, because salvation is a 360-degree filled faith, it involves everything from our responses to circumstances, to how we act, to how we walk, to how we behave, and how we speak. By the way, there should be just a quick word of admonition here. There could be many people who don't swear, who don't curse, who don't use foul language, who don't joke in a coursing manner, who themselves can use their tongue to hurt and to offend, right? So it's not just merely do you say bad words, but it's how are you using your speech, How is Christ being glorified in all that you do? You've heard me say this time and time again. The Christian faith is not a solitary sport. It's one that involves community. And in all that we do, and again, this goes back to our Sunday school, but in all that we do, we were created to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. We cannot glorify God if our speech is used to devastate, if our speech is used to hurt. So I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we go through the text today. And like I said, this really becomes part one of a two-part series here. Look at James 3.1. James 3.1. James writes, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. Now, James is moving on from where we were last week, right? We were looking last week at the whole element of faith and works, faith and works. And we saw in the teaching of of chapter 2, right, that true, saving, biblical faith does indeed produce works of righteousness produces works of righteousness if it doesn't James says well then that's a dead faith that's nothing but an intellectual belief but when you have been born again when you have been touched by the spirit of God when you have come to the place of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ Guess what? You're going to do righteous works. You're going to bring glory to God. I think the church has to become more concerned now more than ever is, what am I doing to bring glory to God? It's not merely my meditations. It's not merely my thoughts. But what byproduct is being produced in my life that brings glory to God? James says, if you're saved, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now he moves on by that. And he deals with the issue of speech. And specifically in its relationship to living an active faith. And he begins, ironically, this chapter by saying, listen, let not everyone be teachers of the word of God. He says teachers, preachers, evangelists, Well, they're under much stricter judgment because of the responsibility that they have to proclaim the Word of God. Sometimes there's this error that somebody gets saved, and in our zeal and in our excitement, we say, Hey, brother, would you like to go up and teach something? Listen. There is not only danger from false prophets who preach false things, but there is also danger from untrained people, and I don't mean that in a, in a, in a, in a seminary type of setting. I'm talking about people who are immature in the faith, not f- fully understanding the whole counsel of God of letting them go out and proceed and teach the word of God. This is such an ominous responsibility that look what the word of God says here in Ezekiel uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. I just want to show you just how serious this is. By the the way, the word there in 3.1 for teacher, it is directly referring to somebody who is an acknowledged instructor instructor of the word of God it's an expositor of the word of God but look at Ezekiel 3 verse 17 to 19 listen to the word of the Lord to the prophet Ezekiel he says this son of man I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel and whenever you hear a word from my mouth warn them from me When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hands. Yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Now this was the word of God to the prophet of Israel. Prophets were there to warn and to call the children of Israel back to the Lord. Call them to repentance. Call them to come back. Notice what he says here. I've appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. You know what a watchman did in the old days? He sat up on the wall. And his job was to be out there all night looking to see if there was an approaching enemy. And if there was an approaching enemy on the horizon, they would ring a bell and they would warn and rouse the people up for battle because chances are their city was going to be invaded. To Ezekiel said, this is your job. You're a watchman. Now I'm going to tell you something. Every pastor... Every preacher, every evangelist, even Sunday school teachers, elders, are watchmen. That's our job. Our job is to look out on the horizon and say, Do I see an enemy approaching? And a lot of times that enemy is false teaching, it's false doctrine. It's false prophets, and Lord knows there is no shortage of false prophets in this day. The watchman, when he sees danger coming, calls out danger. He doesn't say, hey, um, there could be a problem on the horizon. There, these people may mean good, they may not mean, oh, no. He calls out danger. There's an invading army. There's something that's coming that is coming to threaten us. He warns. Look what he says there. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them. This is a severe matter that the Lord charged the prophet Ezekiel. The prophet's mission was to warn. And through the warning call the children of israel back to god the preacher his job is to warn his job is to warn the church to warn them of of lies and deceits that are prevalent in the community his job is to warn them to ensure that their election and calling from god is sure And in addition to warning, he is to be able to present the full counsel of God. We warn with the scripture, but we also tell you the remedy for that warning. That remedy is found in Jesus Christ. Notice he said, if you do not warn him, Or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live. If he dies, he dies in his sin, but I'm going to hold you responsible. You don't think that hits me every Sunday morning, every Tuesday night, every time they have an opportunity to preach the word of God? I think I've shared this with the church. My nightmare, my constant nightmare is how many people do I preach to who sit in church Sunday after Sunday that may end up in hell? I don't take that lightly. I don't want to stand before the Lord and say, why didn't you warn him? Great thing is that we, we don't have to just warn. But we have the word of truth. We have the word of salvation. We have the word that could cause one to be saved and come to the full knowledge of Jesus Christ, delivered from that eminent danger. And that's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He says to the prophet Ezekiel, but if you warn them, and that person dies in their sin, you will have saved your life. There is a real sobriety, a real seriousness to preaching the gospel, to teaching the Bible, to sharing the gospel. And this is a severe matter. And every pastor, every preacher, every evangelist, every Sunday school teacher has to be faithful to that call. And not only present the warning, but also present God's grace, Godly instruction, God's encouragement, the joy of the Lord, and all of the prescriptions that the Word of God has for us. Charles Spurgeon said this, we must all learn to hear what we do not like. The question is, not, is it pleasant? The question is, is it true? In James 3.1, James uses the term, my brethren, indicating that he is writing to fellow Christians with this. And he also includes himself in the term, stating, we shall receive a stricter judgment. The key message is that to present the Word of God is a very serious matter. To be a teacher of the Word of God and to use the tongue for the proclamation and the edification of the church and of the gospel. The teacher, the preacher of the Word of God never loses focus of this truth and let me share something with you be be very careful in your use of scripture very common for people to throw out a verse here and there oh you know so and is going through this oh look this deals with that throw it out throw it out throw it out the word of god is not a book full of christian incantations Make sure when you share the word of God that it is contextual in nature. Make sure that when you share the word of God, in your best efforts to encourage a brother or sister, make sure that you are handling accurately the word of God. You know, somebody's going through a hard time, maybe crying, they'll look up a verse that has the word sorrow in it and send it off to them and go, here, be encouraged. Make sure you use the word of God appropriately and accurately. Back to James chapter 3. Verse 2, James writes, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, throughout this study, again, I've emphasized that this is a book about faith, but I've never emphasized nor have I ever declared that this is about sinless perfection. Can we agree on that point? None of us are perfect. None of us are sinless. None of us are going to walk this life and never, ever, ever sin again. Instead, the scriptures repeatedly, repeatedly warn us and encourage us with verses such as this, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also for those of the whole world. The Bible encourages us. It encourages us, because we're not going to live a sinless life. James says here, we all stumble. The Word of God tells us that the righteous stumble, but they get up again. The Word of God tells us if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. By the way, that, that sin is already appropriated if you are in Jesus Christ. Christ died for sins past, present, and future. So it's already uh, appropriated. But God calls us to confess the sins. There's that old saying, confession is good for the soul. But you know what? So many times we tend to go to the Lord and we say, Lord, forgive me my sins. I was counseling this young man many years ago. And he had committed a pretty serious sin. And he came to me and he said, Brother, i got to talk to you. And he shared with me what was going on. And kind of, to be perfectly honest with you, took my breath away. And then we spent some time together counseling several and many tears. I said, brother, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And so as we went to the Lord in prayer, he started out by saying, Father, forgive me, my sins. I said, wait, stop. I said, say your sin. And he said, Father, well, forgive me for my sin of disobedience. stop. Say your sin. Acknowledge your sin before God. And he finally got to the point where he said his sin. Verbally, he acknowledged what he did in prayer before the Lord. And it broke him. And it broke him. Confession means just that. We know we have a multitude of sins. We know there are those sins that we do, that we knowingly do them, and we need to go back to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me for this respective sin, and confess that sin before God. And we know that there are sins of omission, sinning in autopilot. We don't even realize it. We don't even think about it. But it is important and the scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation would tell us that we are to confess our sins in private, before God. Hey, I lost my cool. I lusted. I did this. I took something that didn't belong to me. Say them to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord knows. But there is a depth when it comes out of your mouth you hear it there's something about that that brings the, the heinousness the seriousness of the sin to the forefront that's what John means when he says confess your sins we do that the word of God tells us that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins In verse 2, James says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. He's able to bridle the whole body as well. I want to call your mind to this. I mentioned to you earlier the fact that we have never, although we've been talking about living an active biblical faith in this epistle of James, we've never talked about sinless perfection. The Bible does not speak of sinless perfection. It does not imply, it does not direct about sinless perfection. But because James says we all stumble does not provide license for us to perpetuate and to continue in sin. He's not saying we all stumble, so let us just keep on sinning because we all stumble. We're all imperfect. We're all infallible. We're all fallible. There is no license given here. He is just stating simply a point. And that point said, hey, we all stumble, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Oh, wait, stop. Time out. Time out. What does he mean, a perfect man? Well, that word perfect carries two meanings. Two meanings. The first meaning... That which is without flaw. Perfect. No defect. Now, as we look at the Word of God, is it possible that that what is, is what He's meaning? No, why not? Who was perfect except Jesus? There's nobody perfect except Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life. He was sinless in all his ways. None of us are sinless in all his ways. So we could say to ourselves, well, he can't mean that. He can't mean that it's a perfect man, that it's a sinless man. There's got to be another meaning. The second meaning for that word perfect means mature, complete, whole. And it would seem that this fits the context of what James is speaking about right here. The mature believer, the complete believer, walking right with the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that believer who's able to to bridle the whole body. That term bridle is an interesting term. I grew up a city boy, so I didn't grow up on a farm or anything, but I saw enough cowboy movies to know that bridle is the little metallic bit they put into the horse's mouth, right, to which the reins are connected. And you train a horse that way, right? If you pull on it to the right, the horse will go right. If you pull on it in the left, the horse will go left. If you pull back, the horse will stop. It's designed to guide and influence the horse, to go in the direction where you want it to go. That's the purpose of a bite, bridle. It's to direct that horse to go where you want it to go. Here he says this. He is a perfect man. The mature man is a perfect man. And he is able to bridle the whole body. He is able through the power of the Holy Spirit to direct the will to do that which God wants it to be able to do. The mature believer can do that. Not in his own ability. Have you ever had the experience? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it what's the first thing you do? You do the very thing you swore you weren't going to do. I'm not going to say that word. What's the first thing you do? You blast out that word. Why? Because in and of ourselves, we're sinful creatures. We're prone. We have a propensity. We have an instinct, if you would, for sin. So no matter how, I mean, the proof of that, look at New Year's, Right? When do all the, the diet companies make their commercials? It's during the holidays, right? Oh, when you get done with the holidays, you know, join Weight Watchers and you'll shed all that holiday weight and everything else. How many people, they know, they know demographically that that is the time of the year that people are apt to sign up for diets. So that's their peak season. They do all of their business. What happens in February and March? Nobody's on Weight Watchers. Nobody's doing Jenny Craig. They gain more weight over the time, right? Because instinctively in us, it's not there. But there is hope. And the hope is this. It is in the person and in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit that we have the ability to overcome the shortcomings and the things that in our own nature, we don't do. What does bridling look like? Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Beginning with verse... I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong direction. It's Galatians chapter 6. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. What does it look like? Here's what it looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such thing there is no law no law what does it look like when the mature believer is yielded to Christ when the mature believer has turned their heart over to Jesus Christ well therefore the fruits of the spirit begin to manifest look at them what is the fruit of the spirit it's love it's joy it's peace it's patience It's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. Self-control, all-encompassing self-control. And when the believer is immersed immersed in the Spirit, when the Spirit of God takes full control of the believer, these are the things, these are the byproducts, these are the fruits that fill the heart. And if the heart is filled with good things, what manner of speech do you think that person will have? Good things. Garbage in, garbage out. Good things in. Good things out. I've been saying this on the Bible study. I've been saying this in church for the last few weeks. It is critical that we understand that our salvation is not merely an issue about doctrine. It is not merely an issue about believing the right things about Jesus Christ, that everything in the believer's heart emanates. Everything in the believer's life emanates from the heart. And out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Self-control is complete and total. Meaning it will involve a yielded will to the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, He will control actions. He will control thoughts. He will control speech. Why? Because the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ. Remember, it is Christ in you which is your hope of glory. Therefore, the mature believer and the yielded believer can control, can bridle their lives, including their tongues, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 3 and 4. James elaborates more on this. He says, now if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. James illustrates the Holy Spirit's control by comparing it to a bridle, a bit in the horse's mouth, or the rudder of the ship. And it is under the Holy Spirit's power that the tongue can be bridled. Now, listen. There are four applications that we could take for this that have practical application to our lives today. Four of them from just these four verses. The first one is our tongue, our speech reveals our heart. Our speech can tell us so much about the heart. Whether we use coarse language, swear words, or even use our speech to harm or offend. You know, some people take great pride in saying, I'm very direct, I'm very truthful, I'm going to tell you the way I see it, I'm black and white. And they boast in this honesty, but in actuality they use that that candor, that directness to hurt. And it just becomes a thin veneer for pride. That's all it becomes. So they take great pride to say, I told that person, you know, I told them the way it is and blah, 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 blah. Even if we're going to be direct, we're going to be honest. Our speech always has to be seasoned with assault. salt. But our tongue, our speech, reveals our heart. The second one is, this: real simple, I've said it two or three times today. Remember, garbage in, garbage out. If we fill our heart with the things of this world, spiritual garbage, then out of our mouth will proceed worldly junk. That's all there is to it. Don't think you're immune. Don't think, oh, I could watch an R-rated movie that does that doesn't mess with me. Oh, I could listen to such and such music that has no influence over me. I could do this that I could read such and such books that has. Listen, you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. You're filling your mind, you're filling your heart, and you're filling your soul with the world's junk. And by the way, the junk doesn't always look like junk. Because if you covet riches, if you covet the things of the world, if your emphasis is on money and acquisition and all you can get, if you think like the world, you're filling your mind with the things of the world. And ultimately, that will proceed in murmurings and complainings when you don't get what you want. The number one affection of the believer must be Christ. Anything that is not Christ is worthless. It's worthless. And let me tell you something, there's no easy task because the world is at work. Social media, television, Amazon, you name it, Are sending you messages seven by twenty-four, trying to fill your heart with the world's junk. And let me tell you, they're doing a an awfully good job. I don't know if you've had this experience where you may have been talking to a friend, say, you know, I i got to buy a new air conditioning unit, and I'm a little worried. It's so expensive. And the next thing you know is you see on your smartphone, air conditioning units, blah, 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 blah. If you fill yourself with the world's junk, ultimately you're going to be bitter. You're going to complain. You're going to murmur. And let me tell you, when you start going down the path of complaining, murmuring, it will always, it will always, mark my words, it will always lead to murmuring and complaining against God. God, why am I in this situation? Why am I not get? Why did this person, where everything works out for them, but nothing works out for me? And you don't want to murmur against God. That is a sin. Here's the third one. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak the word of God with boldness just like i stated garbage in comes garbage out likewise if you are filled with the holy spirit then we can expect to have godly things fill our speech listen acts 431 i love this verse man i i I love acts chapter 4 acts 431 speaking to the apostles if they were released after they were arrested says this, and when they had prayed, the place that they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does it say it do? They all jumped around and started screaming. No, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with all boldness. Look in the book of Acts. How many times where the Spirit is filled with the Holy Spirit and it is followed by, they began to speak the word of God with boldness. If you're you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will speak the word of God with all boldness. The Spirit will fill you, and out of the heart, the mouth will speak the things of God that bring glory and honor to God. We saw what the fruit of the Spirit was. Godly speech, speech that's honoring. If we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, And the last one, and this is the hope for all of us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. It can tame the tongue. There is hope, and that hope is the new life in Christ. The Apostle Paul told the church in Colossians 4 6, let your speech always be with grace. Did you hear that? Let your speech always be with grace. Let it be seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how to respond to each person. This is only possible through the inner working of the Holy Spirit as one yields their life to him. Only the Holy Spirit can change our heart. Did you hear that? Only the Holy Spirit can change a heart. Only the Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. And only the Holy Spirit can bring glory to God. There is hope. But it is only possible by first coming to Jesus Christ and repenting from your sins. You must be born again. And you must experience the new birth. Spurgeon said this. The work of the Holy Spirit begins with bruising. To be saved, to follow around, to follow ground, must the, the fallow ground must be plowed up. The hard heart must be broken, and the rock must be split apart. You want power over sin? You want power over the tongue? You want power to live vi- uh, victoriously? Then cry out to God that he would have mercy on you as sinner. Confess and repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ. finished work on the cross of Calvary and be safe. Let's pray.